Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Season two. Season two. We are grateful that they re-upped our contracts. Did Was there, there a negotiation? Are, there are no contacts to be necessarily. <laughs> they didn't say, Mike in Montana, are you getting stop paid for this? doing the bubble. In theory, I am working <laughs> currently and getting paid for working. Who do I invoice for the bubble podcast? I think... Me? I have to send myself an invoice? It's, is it, has it become about the money for you? Season two, and it's all about the money with you? <laughs> we're all about the bag in season two. He's Montana Samuels. I'm Mike Bonner. This is The Bubble, and this is what we're calling the start of season two. Yeah. Sort of a, uh, a fresh start for us. And we're, and we're starting big with season two. The Yes. Big topic. Chief least. executive yeah. elected oh. official of New Bedford, yeah. Mayor John Mitchell. Uh, we'll be talking to him about uh, Whitey Bulger because he was on the FBI's task force and locating Whitey Bulger. Yeah. Uh, growing, up, growing up in Massachusetts, I was well aware of Whitey Bulger. Uh, obviously, he's been in the news. I say in the news lately, and I think I said this when we talked to the mayor, he never really left the news from yeah, New he England. Always, he was sort of omnipresent. Right. But someone who's from Kansas, I'm curious, before we get into someone who was really hands-on trying to find Whitey Bulger, mm-hmm. Someone growing up in Kansas, how much did you know of Whitey Bulger? I, yeah, I didn't know anything. And while we were talking to the mayor, I was sort of trying to piece together the timeline in relation to how old I was. Mm-hmm. I be- he said he, it was 2011 when he was finally caught in Correct. Santa Monica, right? Correct. So I would have been, depending on what month, like 16 or 17 years old at the time, and was definitely not following the news very seriously but i had also just never really that name had never really crossed my path before well that's because the mayor said that he joined on in 2004 i believe and i think that was in like the bit a bit of a dead period like where the the trail sort of went cold yeah he said the mayor will explain it but it's interesting because 2004 i was in high school Mm -hmm. and i i was well aware of who buddy bulger was it's interesting where in 11 even after he was captured, uh, it wasn't necessarily on your radar where I was in New York and that was, I remember uh, texting my friends because it was like a huge thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like just, they caught him. Oh, my God. Because no, sure. a lot of people thought that he would never get caught uh, and if he was still right. alive. So right. uh, it was really interesting. Um, and the conversation with the mayor was really interesting yeah. and we'll... We'll go into it right yeah, now. Yeah, we'll jump right to it. As promised, we are here uh, inside the mayor's office, of all things. So a little bit of a fib there. We said we were going to have an in-person uh, guest, it's but actually it's guest. better. This is much better than our podcast, Hole in the Wall. Yeah. 
exponentially better. Than <laughs> uh, and listen, I appreciate your guys coming over here, so I didn't have to go out in the rain. You did. It's true. I, I left the office. Well, I left my apartment and then went back in and added the hood to the jacket because it is it is raining yeah. outside. But uh, Mayor John Mitchell, thanks for joining us. You bet, Mike. Um, so we're here uh, looking. We like to you know, things that are in the news, uh, and Whitey Bulger has been in the news, especially in New England forever, it seems like. Uh, and you have a special kind of perspective. If you could kind of walk us through uh, your perspective through Whitey Bulger. Right. I mean, as you know, before I was mayor, I was an assistant United States attorney in, uh, in Boston uh, for a number of years. And um, among the matters that I worked on while I was there was um, – uh, was the Bulger fugitive investigation. I was the prosecutor on the, the task force that was looking for Bulger uh, during his period of flight. He fled in uh, 1995 and was ultimately captured in, in 2011. So he was on uh, on the run for about 16 years. One of the things I'm always interested in is, uh, you know, looking at an inside look because, you know, we, I think his story is, is well known from uh, maybe – uh, to the common person, you know, just flashes on the news. There's plenty in-depth knowledge of books and such. But uh, to me, I'm at that point, 2011. I don't even know where. I think it was in Iowa at that point. Uh, I think. No, it was in New York. That's where I was. Uh, so there wasn't. I wasn't. You probably saw him in your travel. I probably did see. Yeah, and I did. And I, ne I never made a call. And that's yeah. a great transition to what? What? And looking for him and a person who could have. I just remember there were pictures from like Germany and California and such. What's it like trying to literally find a needle in the haystack of the world? Yeah. So um, I think one way to think about it is to think about sort of the ordinary fugitive uh, investigation um, you know, of which I was involved in a number um, while I was um, with the federal government. And, you know, ordinarily if someone uh, flees pending trial or post-trial um, pending sentencing, um, you know, it's an exercise that is uh, a responsibility that's usually given to the U.S. Marshals, and they'll, they will go uh, up on phones. In other words, they will, that's sort of a term of art, but they will, um, they'll, they'll get on what are called pen registers and trap and trace uh, mechanisms in the phone system to figure out uh, who might be calling uh, the, uh, the individual. And so, and, and you know, that technology has evolved even even in the time since I've been gone to allow for more uh, geographic uh, tracking. But that's ordinarily how it happens. And, 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 and usually people get caught within, um, even, even the wiliest criminals, you know, get caught, you know, within a matter of weeks or a matter of, uh, matter of months because they, they don't have a plan. <laughs> right. they, 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 you know, they take off. They're not sure where to go. And once they leave, they don't know how to sort of operate in the world. Right. And you think about I've actually read that, that the escape yeah. is the easy part, but then not getting caught because right. the, the plan is always I'm out. And then right. how, do you, how, do you, how do you have access to money? How, right. how do you how do you how do you eat? You know, how do you go work? How do you settle down in a new life? It's very, very hard. Um Bulger was different in so many ways. So first of all, Bulger had already had been a fugitive once before in the, in the early 60s after he was on the run, having uh, robbed a number of banks, and he was ultimately caught and then um, uh, prosecuted federally and spent time in, among other places, Alcatraz. And so he had had this dress rehearsal of being a, a fugitive years and years before, three decades before. Um, 
but uh, in many ways, uh, to give you know the proverbial devil his due, um, Bolger was uh, a very uh, intelligent, very cunning, um, and a very you know say this in the, in the broadest sense, not in the, in the most colloquial sense, and not necessarily in a complimentary way, the most conscientious. Uh, um, of fugitives, of criminals, in the sense that he actually did his homework. I mean, literally read up on how how uh, to remain uh, on the lamb and how to sort of survive without being plugged into society. Yeah. So, so he is as he as time went on in the late eighties and early nineties, and he saw that certain individuals were cooperating with the, uh, the government's effort to bring down the Italian mafia uh, against whom he had been cooperating. He knew. Um, that at some point the jig would be up for him. And not only would he be looking at incarceration, but um, now, now we know better in retrospect, he was also fear, fearful of, of, of being sure. in a very perilous place once sure. incarcerated. So, so he spent um, a great deal of time traveling. Um, he set up, uh, he set himself up very well. So he set up post office uh, boxes in a number of places. He set up bank accounts in a number of places. He set up safe deposit boxes in a number of places, not just in the U.S., but overseas. Montreal, Dublin, um, London, um, Fort Lauderdale, and a few other places. So, uh, and he, um, he knew that he would have to leave on a moment's notice. He had his tentacles into the FBI. There were some corrupt FBI agents uh, in Boston, as, as you know, we all know now. And was, he was ultimately tipped off in, in 95 or 94, actually, to the end, at the end of 94, uh, when the indictment would, would be coming down. So by then, he had sort of figured out you know, where he was getting, where he would ha- head off to and how he travel. And, and he, in many respects, started off traveling a, a that he had traveled some 60 years earlier. He had been through the South, uh, 60, 30 years earlier in the 60s, uh, through the South and then in places like New York as well as Chicago. Uh, he had had friends um, uh, Eddie Bettman and among other places. Now, and Alcatraz. 2011 to 2006. Yes. So it was, you kind of saw the trail, but you just didn't know the trail up through uh, into 1996, okay. but not thereafter. The trail went cold, and this is something that you know, the public was wasn't aware of. The trail went really went cold when he left. Uh, took a a a train from New York to Chicago, and um, I think it was late '95 or '96. Um, but he had he'd gotten um, so he ended up in Chicago and. And Kevin Weeks, who was an associate of his, deliver him some fake IDs that were made for him by an individual in South Boston, and and and, um, and there he went. And that's at that point we, we the trail goes cold, and uh, so here we were in you know, the mid two thousands or so. Two thousand, I started in on the investigation. It was two thousand four. Um, you know, just trying to piece it all back together and figure out. Where, where we left from Chicago, yeah. and we looked at things like train records and bank accounts and, and, you know, looked at some folks who would, you know, he might have had connections to in Chicago, a guy named Bernie Grogan was an Alcatraz um, mate of his of sorts, um, uh, was a career criminal in Chicago, um, 
from an Irish family in Chicago where they had politicians in terms of sort of interesting parallels with Bulger. Um, that was one person who you know, we took a close look at. Um, but we saw, we also interviewed folks who we knew he had been in touch with along the way. Uh, an awful lot of folks from South Boston. I mean, half of South Boston we interviewed at one point yeah. uh, or another because he had been calling back to folks to put him in touch with, with, with some of his associates, especially in 95 and 96. And then he stopped doing that. What were those calls like? I mean, were people helpful? Were they hesitant? Were they... What, what kind of resistance? He, he called a lot of nice people who, who didn't <laughs> want to be helpful, but were scared of him. And then he, to whom he told them to, to pass the phone off. And there, there are others who are associates of his, um, as well as some relatives who, um, um, you know, were you know, just hearing him out. Yeah. But, but that was it. And then eventually he recognized that he should stop calling them because the government was on was yeah. on to them. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that stopped him, but he traveled, he traveled in a number of places, um, you know, uh, Grand Isle, Louisiana, they spent a number of uh, months there in 1995, he and, and Kathy Gregg, his girlfriend, where um, uh, they befriended a family and sort of duped them and were generous with, with, with them and bought them, oh. you know, bought them items for their house and so forth. But uh and, and then left, and he spent a lot of time in, in, uh, in New York uh, as well uh, along the way in Chicago. Um, but again, you know, the trail ultimately went cold. And so our effort really was, you know, at just sort of piecing it all back together, the connections to friends and whatnot. They're using all sorts of, um, you know, methods to, to do that, you know, both electronic means as well as just good old shoe, shoe leather, yeah. investigative shoe leather, as well as taking a hard look at uh, potential overseas connections. So a lot of our effort was directed outside the United States because, you know, when you think about it, at the, at the time, of course, you know, Osa he was the number two. Right, right. Uh, right. So Osama bin Laden was number one. But, you know, we always thought, gee, you know, it would be a lot easier to find a six foot four Arab uh, somewhere in the mountains of Afghanistan or Pakistan uh, than, it, than it would to find, you know, a five foot nine Irish American living anywhere in where Westerners live on the right. planet. Right. And there are many places where there are Western expatriates. If you think about, you know, just in sort of, you know, where, you know, the English colonized uh, the, the world and, you know, North America and Australia and so forth, but also in places like, um, you know, like uh, yeah, along the Costa del Sol of Spain, um, which is a big resort area along, um, you know, in Goa, India, yeah. uh, Belize and places. So these are all places where we took a, took a look. I mean, so we get calls from all over the place. We, I can remember, you know, there was uh, the, the um, American embassy in Brazil and Brasilia, Brazil, called and said, you know, they had a, a pretty definitive lookalike uh, that was spotted by a, a consulate somewhere in the Amazon, right? So we thought, well, how could that be? But they put it, they, they described it enough, and it was like, yeah. it's not worth sending somebody there, but we should, they should send somebody, somebody out. And so we were running down leads like that all the time, doing surveillance and. Uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, in London, uh, there had been all these apocryphal, in retrospect, apocryphal sightings of him around Piccadilly Circus in, in London. Um, that was a place where there was a, 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 and we knew because he had a, a bank account at a bank, uh, 
there nearby that there might have been some connection there. Uh, he'd been there, but before he actually fled. Um, and then there were there were occasions where you know we did send agents because there was enough meat on the bone. Um, and by that I mean there were leads that were detailed enough, that were suggestive enough that uh, that they, they appeared to be credible. So you know, so those 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 were in play. Those were in, in Canada uh, again, a number in Ireland. In Ireland. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the one that I, that stood out to me the most was uh, the one that was conveyed to us by a call from the American Embassy in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. Um, they reported that there was a guy that sure looked like Bulger who has frequented an Irish pub on the coast. You know, think about where, I mean, Irish pubs are kind of like Chinese restaurants. They're like all over the planet, right? So, uh, as, it, as it turns out, so... So we sent an FBI agent to Phnom Penh and drove down to the coast and they went to the to that Irish pub and sat at the bar. And sure enough, the guy um, the guy showed up. Uh, the subject showed up at the ordinary time, at the, at the usual time, and uh, and the agent immediately recognized that it wasn't, it wasn't him. <laughs> right. So he shimmied down the bar and they had a conversation. Then they said, you'll never guess why I'm here, right? <laughs> so they had a good laugh and the guy agreed to give him his fingerprints just to, so just so that he could say that he got right. the fingerprints right. and show that he was, that it was <laughs> right. But there was stuff like that. Um, you know, there was, so, you know, all along the way, what was, it was frustrating at times because uh, in that, you know, there was still lots of folks who assumed that the people who were looking for him weren't really trying, that somehow the fix was in. And that was, you know, that was sort of those allegations were the residue of all the corruption in the, you know, the 80s and 90s and the, and the FBI to, you know, and, and arguably in the U.S. Attorney's Office at the time, you know, all of that was ancient history. There's no, none of the personnel who were there then were, were, right. were, were still around. But, um, but, you know, we started in the later years because, you know, there really wasn't any sort of hot lead. Uh, we're constantly chasing stuff down, but there wasn't a hot lead that we started to focus on a couple of things. One was, um, one was something that, that I had pushed really hard, and so this is circa 2009, which was to use social media to try to find him. I'd read about a contest that DARPA had um, conducted right around that. So DARPA is the uh, Defense Advanced Projects, Advanced Research Projects Agency, right? They're the ones who invented, you know, they were credited with inventing the internet and they uh, um, and did, did a lot with um, autonomous vehicles, you know, even, even back then. And they, they had a contest whereby they would award $40,000 to the first person or persons who correctly identified the locations of 10 publicly visible weather balloons around the country, right? Mm -hmm. There were public places all over the place. And there were 4,000 entries, and a team from MIT won by um, uh, uh, correctly identifying all 10 locations in, uh, in less than nine hours wow. using a social media platform. So what they did in effect was they they uh, assigned $4,000 to each of the 10 balloons. And they said the first per the person who identifies where the location of the balloon gets uh, 2,000 bucks of the 4,000. Okay. The person who uh, posted that, the post that, or the email the person who ultimately identified 
uh, the balloon gets a thousand. The person who posted an email, that one got 500 and so forth, right? So they created a set of what they referred to as recursive incentives. And so I thought, well, we, you know, if you can do that with balloons, why can't you do it with a fugitive? Why can't you, by the way, find some find a kidnapped child that way, right. a terrorist or something you want to look for, right? So we approached the folks at DARPA, we approached the, uh, the, the team at MIT, and we're pretty much set up to, to do that. Um, but it, it got a little complicated because they're creating the the reward hit a little bit of a legal roadblock because, and, and it's for this reason, we had a we had a reward in place already for Bulger that was the statutory max for a civilian, right? And uh, as opposed to the rewards out there were out for Bin Laden and for earlier for Saddam Hussein and some of the others of, uh, of their ilk, um, so we could we were trying to figure out well, so how, yeah, how does the government set up this, you know, this okay, reward. Yeah. And there were also some funding issues. The Bureau uh, was a little, uh, candidly, a little difficult to get the Bureau to embrace this approach. And in retrospect, what I find interesting in retrospect is that, um, you know, these days, you know, here we are in 2018, right. say nine years later, and, uh, you know, social media is ubiquitous. And and you would, I, I think, I think, Anybody, even Bulger, as as, as wily as, as he was, uh, would have a hard time remaining on on the lamb with as many eyes out there. Right. Just yeah. think about how quickly messaging spreads. Right. Think of somebody going out taking a picture for Snapchat or Instagram and getting that out there. Is this is this him? So, um, the other thing that we're working on is we started focusing on Kathy Gregg mm-hmm. a little bit more. So. This was yeah. in the 2000s. This was like late, late, sort of like late 2000s, 2009 or so, 10. And you know, the idea there was so you know, he kind of looks like a lot of other people, but she, we knew some things about her that um, you know might have some promise. So we knew that you know, in her 20s, she was getting cosmetic surgery, and so you know, I thought, well, I said, well, you know. I mean, not to, to stereotype, but, you know, if a woman's getting cosmetic surgery in her 20s, she's probably, she probably doesn't stop getting it as she gets right. older. She probably, if, if anything, getting as much or more. And so what about uh, professional journals in, in um, cosmetology or in plastic, plastic surgery, right? So there's, there's an avenue. Same thing, she was a dental hygienist, right? So, again, to play the stereotype, so dental hygienists tend to have, you know, Better um, cared for teeth than most, so she probably gets her teeth cleaned. So we did. So we thought, well, so what about it? you know, and, and dentist professional journalism? Yeah. So we started pushing stuff out, images of her, in that general direction. Then started thinking about about uh, about programming uh, women's shows and stuff um, you know, during during the day. And then ultimately, that's you know, it was that initiative that um, the bureau did. Um, fund that ultimately led to the to the tip. You know, so a woman who saw an image and then said, "Oh, yeah, I, you know, I saw somebody who looked like that in Santa Monica." Yeah. Interestingly enough, you know, Santa Monica was Santa Monica made a lot of sense in retrospect. You knew that Bulger that Bulger had expressed to people that he wanted to live somewhere warm. He wanted to live by the water. Um, Santa Monica. And both of those, and it also had a couple of other things that made a lot of sense for someone on the run living in one of America's only uh, few um, um, 
communities that still has rent control a plus right if you if you can't go work yeah. right and generate income right you 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 have to work with the, the, the right. cash you have on hand and burn that down as slowly as possible so having a, a modest rent would, would help in that way the other thing is you know he was on um cardiac medication the tenethol um and you know being in southern california would give him access to you know, over-the-counter medicines in Tijuana, Mexico, that would, uh, would otherwise require prescriptions in the sure. United States. So those, I mean, those, and it's unclear whether he actually did did that, but it, it made it made sense to be near the border. The ability was there, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so I mean, that's in general, that's that was uh, it, it, Santa Monica made a lot of sense. Yeah. Were there any moments where you felt particularly confident that? Perhaps this was like you had a good lead and then they sort of slipped away or seemed false. Like, do you have any anecdotes of those? Uh, we do. Um, not, not so much slipped away, but um, we, we had our, hope, our hopes dashed a number of times right, yeah. with lookalikes. Uh, I can remember there was a guy who was pushing a grocery, pictures of a guy who was pushing a grocery cart in, I can't remember if it was either Dublin or, uh, or Derry, um, wherever it was. And uh, in Ireland or Northern Ireland, and and uh, boy, it's like that guy sure looks like him. Yeah. And so you know, we had folks from Scotland Yard had to go out, and they as they approached the guy. No, it wasn't. That was him. Um, there were there were a couple of other you know there were other occasions where. You know, again, you know, some of these overseas uh, incidents made made some sense. That there weren't too many in the United States mm-hmm. um, where it, you know that we thought, wow, there's uh, there may be something something to that. Yeah. We're finding something that like we're uncovering something new. Um, you know, we did get a tip about a guy on the Santa Monica Pier mm-hmm. uh, who looked looked a lot like Bulger, but there was very little other detail. Mm-hmm. There and it may well it may well have been him. That was about uh, God, I don't know, maybe about three years before um, he was ultimately caught. So that was that was something um, uh, well. But um, but but no, I think there were a number of times we'd have we'd have lookalikes overseas that just turned didn't turn out to be yeah. Him. yeah. And so after a while, he started to get a, a little, you know, you start to get a little skeptical. About right. It, sure. Uh, yeah. You know, allow yourself to get your your hopes up. Yeah. Did, how did you know he was alive? We or did, did you? Yeah. Didn't. Did, we didn't. We didn't yeah. know that she, he was alive. We didn't know that she was alive. So yeah. we started doing. Um, and if not, then promotion. why keep pushing? You know, what, what was there a cutoff where it's like, okay, we just yeah, after a hundred years. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. So he was born in 1929, and so you know we're looking for him at a point where he's in his 70s, but he was also a healthy 70s. He, had been a fitness nut for most of his adult life, and so he was somebody who took you know, taken care of himself. So we thought, well, you know, I mean, he's it's no reason to think he's right. not he's not uh, right. he's not alive, other than it's just you know he's getting getting up there. But um, but no, it, 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 we, we assumed that he was alive. We also assumed that she was alive. You know, you know, he was a guy who had killed a lot of people, including women, and uh, part of the killing of women, and. Um, and so, you know, it was anybody's guess whether, you know, she was, she was, uh, you know, she was still around. So, you know, but we had to assume as much when we started to right. focus on uh, elevating 
you know, her profile or sensitivity for her profile and, and image. One of my uh, favorite anecdotes that you've told me is that the day after you, you know, stepped off, stepped away from the bureau and announced really that you were running. About this. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's my that's my yeah. least favorite anecdote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I was uh, I, so I was the prosecutor on the task force for seven years from 04 to eleven. And uh, I decided to run for uh, for mayor of New Bedford, and um, and so you know I wound down wound down my affairs at the U.S. Attorney's office, and uh, they had the office hadn't appointed a successor on on the case, and uh, the first business day that I went off the payroll, the tip came in after seven years on the matter. So I went left uh, went off the payroll on a Friday in, in, in June, and uh, the tip came in on Monday. So, so my first reaction was, I'm glad he's caught. My second reaction was, boy, I better win this election. <laughs> so the tip comes, how long after did they kind of uh, apprehend him? Yeah, it was that tip? week. That yeah, week? Yeah, yeah, it was either the next day or the next or the way they figure which, yeah. I remember just, you know, growing up and hearing stories and then even after reading uh, about it, the thing that struck me was how easy the apprehension kind of occurred. It just seemed like it just walked out and then went away quietly. Were you, were you surprised? Was the no. Bureau expecting kind of a fight? Or, yeah, why weren't you surprised, I guess? No, they had, they had done their surveillance on the place. And yeah. they, used a, they used a you know a fairly effective ruse to get him down in the basement of his apartment building so that he would be away and wouldn't be able to, okay. he wouldn't have to, like, he would try to barricade himself in. They figured he was armed, and it turned out that, yeah, he had, like, a right. cache of weapons in the in the apartment. Um, but, no, I think they, they were, they were they know what they're doing. Yeah. Was that when you get the tip and you're surveilling, uh, uh, you have surveillance, as how much of a fear is there that he will be tipped and then, you know, you miss him? Yeah, I think that was, a, yeah. Yeah, I think that was a big deal. They yeah. had some. <laughs> They had the, the property manager knock on his door and uh, and tell him there was there was a uh, <laughs> it was a it looked like his storage locker in the basement had been broken into. Okay. That was that was the ruse. But they had told the kid I think it, he'd lived in Boston, but um, had gone to school in Boston, but didn't really know didn't know who Bulger was. And I don't know if you how you can live in Boston. I know. Who <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> in any case, so he was. Once they, the agents had described to him who that you know that nice old man was in the in the apartment, he was you know um, uh, uh, just just a tad nervous, and so he knocked on on, on the door and said, "Hey, you know, um, because if it didn't work out, he's still the property manager and all just the <laughs> yeah, yeah. building, right? So you can imagine how he was feeling, right? So, um, so it, but but it, it worked out. The the agent, you know, the agents had you know." They staked out their their positions in the in the basement and, and, and they and they caught him there. So you no, know, it worked out. It worked out uh, well. And no, obviously, like the you know the conclusion is that great that he's caught. Um, I'm not shocked that he was killed in, in prison. I mean, sure. here's a guy who is, you know, to use the prison parlance, probably one of America's America's most famous rat, right? So, uh, so. You know, he uh, and he he knew that. He knew that he was in some might, might be in some peril in prison, and it's all the more the more reason why he was on the run for as long as he was and put in put right. so much effort into it. Does any of that? Because obviously, what transpired over the end of his lifetime, are you at all surprised at how that 
portion of his prison stay was handled then with the knowledge that he was well i think a lot more a lot more will come out sure so the bureau of prisons so maybe like an early reading of what happened that surprised you yeah i mean i don't know anything any more about it than anybody else who's reading the paper but you know clearly there were lapses and um among bureau of bureau of prison uh, officials uh they had to have, you know they, you would think that they would have understood that this guy was a, a marked man and that there might be some folks especially ones who are connected with organized crime especially organized crime in massachusetts that they would um you know be alert to to those risks but you know it, it, it didn't it didn't happen i mean it was it was in that new prison in uh uh, in West Virginia for a matter of hours before yeah. he was killed, right? So it didn't, yeah. it, didn't, it, didn't yeah. take, it didn't take long. Right. I just had one final question, um, and I think I saw your tweet on that day um, that he was murdered in prison. But being so close to it uh, and seeing things, that, as, as you mentioned, you, you can't divulge everything you know, um, but it, it feels like people like Bulger um, that are, you know, fugitives and then are so removed from their crimes, they almost gain this iconic stature. You know, Black Mass was made after him and it's a huge right. movie. And from your perspective, how do you feel about, you know, it, I don't want to say he's viewed, but icon, I think, is the positive, is the way people look at it. And he's almost removed from the dastardly acts that he did and almost viewed as a as a star or a, kind of like an Al Capone type of thing. People forget what he's almost viewed as the movie character. Right. How do you, when you see yeah, him... It's kind of an American thing. We right. an obsession yeah. with gangsters and, um, and outlaws generally. I mean, going back a, a long, long way, uh, yeah. you know, Jesse James was a killer, right? But he's yeah. sort of... Yeah, like, Billy Kidd, Bonnie Clyde. And Clyde. And all of them, right? They killed people and uh, they were nasty. And uh, But, you know, they, they become, you know, the stuff of legend because of the way our culture sort of... Um, receives their stories, you know, for reasons that others could probably explain better than I. Um, but, you know, for him, I mean, there, there is a certain level of appeal, right? So there is a, Americans tend to like gangster stories, but, you know, in his case, you know, the connections were obviously with his brother, um, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, the nature of South Boston and being this, you know, Irish enclave and there's a certain charm uh, to that, a sort of folklore surrounding that particular neighborhood. Um, but there's also, you know, I mean, for him, he was also, you know, unusual in the sense that he was you know, highly intelligent. He was, um, you know, he was he was well read. He was very clever. And so, you know, so the, 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 it's the smart villains that tend to be more compelling than the, than the, than the dumb ones. Right. So you know, I think that's those are elements in the story as well. Once again, thank you to uh, Mayor John Mitchell. And Mike, you, you brought up an interesting point uh, at the end there where we sort of, we've sort of found ourselves in a culture that maybe thanks to the movies that portray the lives of these people or music that may touch on it, we find ourselves sort of glorifying the crimes committed and more so the cult of personality that often surrounds the people who are leading um, these crime organized crime organizations. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think and we were discussing a little bit off pod about that, and I think the mayor hit it perfect. I couldn't, as you probably heard there, I, mm. I couldn't grasp the right word. And when he said legend, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. There's a legend 
to them. And I think it's like a mythology. Almost. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because when you think of a legend, there's some things that seem mystical that don't seem, you know, how could this guy escape the law right. forever? And, you know, the power that his brother had mm-hmm. being the president of UMass, you know, it, there, yep. there's just this, it, it is, and you mentioned glorifies it. And yeah. I think when we were talking about it, it is interesting that they're referred to whether it's like Al Capone or, um, yeah, Bonnie. Well, not necessarily the the, the more recent Whitey Bulger organized crime bosses yeah. or mob boss. And I do understand as a journalist, as I drop my pen, <laughs> just so what the heck was that noise? Uh, I do understand as a journalist when you're writing about someone like Whitey Bulger, you can't devote an entire paragraph to describing the crime, to describing sure, all of the sure. crimes and organized crime boss get in and out and continue yep. the story, but. It does, I think, sweep under the rug just how heinous some of the things they do. Yeah. I, I just, yeah, I, I agree. I think we we just sort of often forget how important terminology is to ensuring that people understand the stakes that were in play, right? So, I mean, this is a person who horrified an entire neighborhood and... I mean, years after he was on the run and really hadn't even had contact with those people, I'm sure they were still terrified the, to speak on him at all. Not not just you to, should do that. If someone as as as, as someone who didn't grow up in the area, uh, there's plenty of YouTubes where the news crews went out after he was captured, arrested. Oh sure, and they went to South Boston, and people were like, "Nah, he had a job. We all had this one. This one, just like we all had jobs, and that was his job." Yeah, make, and it, 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 there is, and when you said horrified, I think the the word is intimidated. He intimidated sure. communities. Yeah, because uh, and I think the thing about being that's a good point because the thing about being horrified is it's sort of an uncertainty. Whereas he, you were certain what was going to happen in some form or fashion, like you were going to be hurt or someone you knew and often cared about were going to be hurt. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I think you're right. And I, so it is, it's interesting because even we mentioned with the mayor, the movie Black Mast, which mm-hmm. kind of depicts Whitey Bulger and a little bit too with the Departed. Have you seen the movie? I have. Okay. Uh, and one of my friends, a oh, friend of the pod, Courtney Cronin, uh, oh. she texted me after seeing the movie and she was like, oh my God, like. Wow, because you had heard of Whitey Bulger, but when you sure. see some of the acts that right, are committed, right. I think the point where she was just like, I I just wanted to leave. I couldn't take it anymore yeah. was when I think he strangled the girl uh, in the apartment. And yeah, I think when you see things, the I've, I've seen like Whitey Bulger t-shirts before, you know, his, his original mugshot, right. and he was signing autographs in, in prison and yeah, they were selling yeah. them on eBay. It really, it's, yeah, it it's it's just kind of weird. It is strange. It, it's sort of the same with like the the Al Capone mythology because he be, even, they became famous through as the mayor said murder and killing. Oh yeah, 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 and that's interesting too. I we talked a little bit about um, some of the different um, way that crimes are often presented, but whenever we talk about these sort of like organized crime boss stories, I always think about like. You're familiar with like B- the Black Mafia family and like Big Meech. It was no. so it was like a drug trafficking ring essentially that was like cross continental but based out of Atlanta. And they were sort of infamous because they they were kind of like the first people that they would have like tigers at these big parties, and it was just a lot of luxury. And the way he's presented in the media is often it, it's sort of the same legend, but I don't think it gets nearly the amount of like 
publicity that someone like Whitey Bulger get. Like I don't often see like unless it's like a free Big Meech t-shirt, which is like sort of a regional thing. It doesn't have like the type of national spread, even though it's more recent and less heinous in terms of crimes. I mean, mm-hmm. not that we're comparing crimes at this point, but like drug trafficking isn't murder, even though I'm sure like with any organized crime ring, it's those, a crime. Those things enter into the fold at some point, but he didn't like get his name from killing. And I think you mentioned too off pod, just movies, the God, yeah. Godfather, Goodfellas, Goodfellas Scarface, Scarface, yeah. uh, Scarface it, in particular, perhaps. Right. It's <laughs> it's yeah. It it, it I mean because it it is it's interesting how, and I think the mayor put it perfectly. They, they become legends. Yeah. Well, and I think so. This is maybe how we can transition into the more recent news of the uh, Times reporting. So, if if you guys haven't seen the New York Times, has sort of published their initial investigation into. Um, the circumstances surrounding Bulger's killing in the West Virginia uh, prison facility. And there was one point in the article that really stood out to me, which was um, essentially them articulating that. I think it was a quote, actually, and I'm paraphrasing, but the idea that in prisons of this nature, if you are the person who is able to carry out the murder of like a celebrity inmate, you are then elevated to sort of a legend status. And they talked about the amount of respect that would come for the rest of their sentence. Whereas like you could go from being like sort of this middling inmate uh, amongst your peers, obviously. Right. Like I'm sure it doesn't do much for you in terms of like guards and wardens and things of that nature. But amongst your peers, you go from just a human that they interact with to someone who is then treated with as like top dog almost. Right. I feel like that's an interesting thing to think about too. Whereas as much as we talk about how much Whitey Bulger was idolized, I think it, the mayor talked a little bit about this at the end where he said clearly, like from the early readings, there were some things that lap were like lapses of judgment. It'll be interesting to dive into the reporting of how that affected how they tr- handled his case. Right? Like, if there was anybody, the questions that come to me is like, who did he wrong? They they said he perhaps threatened a uh, doctor in the previous prison he was in, which led to his uh, transfer. But I think it'll just be really interesting to dig even deeper into the specifics of those last, like, what was it, like two days? I think it was well, t- a couple times, but I think it was only like 11 hours at yeah, that he, facility. Yeah, he he was there for so short a time that it... Yeah. it that's so obvious that it's like, okay, like how... How could you even? Have- I think it's it's fairly what you mentioned uh, the the idea of gaining notoriety mm-hmm. from killing another inmate. Yeah, I think it is. I don't know how prevalent, but I will say, in speaking to some people at Bristol County, mm-hmm. uh, they were very mindful of that very fact when Aaron Hernandez was in custody sure. because they didn't they knew the idea of what one would gain by killing an Aaron Hernandez. Sure. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or so, m- making an example out right. of it. So that idea yeah. that you're bringing in this high-profile name, there's already, whether they have enemies or not, mm-hmm. there's an idea that there, there's threats to them just because they are who they are because right. of the notoriety gained. Same exactly. It's, it's very coincidental, maybe ironic in a way, that uh, as the public views them as legends in a, mm-hmm. in a mindset the person who can then 
imply their will on that person in prison gains notoriety. Yeah, to sort of benefit from the their adjacent space of that legend status person. Yeah, it, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think b- neither of us was really prepared to like dig deep into that article, but we wanted to mention it just because that's sort of the latest news. And it is a really good read and super informative. They talk to a lot of people, and um, I my interest is continuously sparked from that reporting because it seems like the, some of the questions I had that we would have, I maybe would have wished we got to the mayor at, and maybe later down the road, yeah. a different conversation uh, are things about sort of like the in, institutional hierarchy. Like are there checks and balances in place to where people who mishandled this situation are going to face repercussions or is it, of such a nature that this is a career criminal who is a horrible person. So we're not really even going to like look too much into it. Like sort of the inner workings of the world of prisons in America. Sort of some of those things. So that's at least what I'm thinking about. Are you thinking about anything when it comes to, uh, Bulger's last, oh, I, I, last I'm, moments? I'm, I'm, I'm certainly interested, uh, in, what what happened you know how it because it it does as i think in the mayor said some something mm-hmm. there was lapses yeah uh and w- how deep you know what were the lapses that's that's something that's interesting and when yeah. i when i heard the news it was just I, a fitting isn't the correct word but it though from his legend mm-hmm. from his tale his yeah. celebrity persona it would have been different if he had just died like natural causes, naturally and, yeah. and 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 maybe it's just again the persona the legend the mystical mm-hmm. creature that you grow up hearing yeah. where when i you heard me ask the mayor was he surprised that bulger just surrendered and and he was like no not at all and and to me that was i remember being 20 something mm-hmm. young 20s and thinking like wow i just you think of these gangsters mobsters yeah. and Oh, here comes the cops, and you and you envision as a shootout. Yeah, as mm-hmm. the as the mayor said, they found tons and tons of artillery, you know, sure. weapons and such, and none of them were used because obviously those people know what they're doing and lure right. him out. Um, but yeah, th- so that that was was on my mind of just when you think of him as the mythological yeah. person that has been created, uh, it was. It made sense. It wasn't surprising that that's how it went out rather than just kind of, and he died at the age like of quietly, whatever. Yeah, right? and we like, never heard yeah, of him again. It, w- it would have been strange for the the total package of the story if the, the period on the end of the last sentence was just, and he died quietly of natural causes, surrounded by friends and family. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that about does it for us. Um, we Fun hope- fact for you Ooh, as well. I was actually uh, in Southie the other last week, I think, and someone had told me, and it's, it was just crazy because we were talking about Woody Bulger. I goes, why wouldn't you uh, in South Boston to this day? Mm-hmm. Uh, but so the kind of the one of the main offices he ran out of the, uh, I forget what, yeah. kind of like convenient OTB something okay. like of that nature. I'm, I'm guessing that's what I was kind of told, not confirming 100%. Regardless, the, the things that are next to it now, yeah. uh, uh, a yoga studio and a sushi restaurant my oh my how things change yeah that's, that's exactly what was yeah that's exactly what was said <laughs> could you imagine just whitey bulger walks out of his office and goes into vinyasa flow wasn't there then i can say that <laughs> oh my gosh yeah 
Yeah, interesting story to follow. I'm sure we'll probably talk about it again because we're just keeping an eye on it. So that does it for us. Um, we hope everyone has a good Thanksgiving. Spend oh, some time with call. the fam. I would have forgotten uh, about that. A lot, mainly just eats a lot of food. I mean, talk to your family, watch some football, sleep, self-care. Thanksgiving's all about self-care. And talk some politics. Well, yeah, <laughs> if you have to. But, yeah, we will We will be back next week um, with another podcast for you. Um, but this has been The Bubble. Uh, we hope you all have us back. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.